Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist. I'm a nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. This week, I'm just putting together uh, a few things after a, frankly, disappointing uh, weekend from the Arnold Classic. A lot of you know it was, of course, mostly canceled, at least the expo and the spectator parts, because of the concerns for the coronavirus and the spread of it. So uh, I will offer a little bit of uh, nutrition news, and then we'll just do a mini travel log so you can at least get a feel of the experience uh, that the Iron Radio crew had down there as far as what was available and how we salvaged the event. So let's get to it. Uh, one of the first things I thought I should bring up to everybody Strength and muscle sport news. Uh, is partly sourced from Consumer Reports and uh, an article by Kevin Loria talking about the relative lack of safety in leafy greens. So as spring continues to roll out, a lot of people are eating grilled chicken on their salads and that sort of thing, eating a lot of leafy greens. And uh, I just thought I would bring some of this to everyone's attention. Um, there have been a number of outbreaks, uh, particularly related to romaine lettuce, um, but also sometimes when they throw it all together into these bags, even if they say triple washed, uh, it could be a problem. So uh, it, it, according to the Consumer Reports here, uh, in April 2018, uh, people were, of course, feeling the stomach cramps and diarrhea that grew worse and more severe. And then, of course, people are wondering what's happening. Um, later, uh, it, it's, it's happening again. October through December of 2019, uh, there were apparently 133 people sickened because of romaine-related illnesses, uh, foodborne right, illness, contaminants. And again, it, it mentions that there's a perception that triple-washed packaged lettuce is always safe when, in fact, the washing process does not move, uh, remove all of the harmful bacteria. The end result of this limited effectiveness when it comes to cleaning your leafy greens has been that between 2006 and 2019, romaine and other leafy greens have been uh, involved with at least 46 multi-state E. coli outbreaks. And I find this interesting because in my nutrition training, the poster child for E. coli outbreaks was usually uh, beef, uh, but that's, that's not entirely accurate. It looks like vegetable-grown crops are responsible for 46% uh, of the outbreaks of E. coli, whereas beef only about 26%. So uh, it's not always 
the protein foods, the beef, that sort of thing. Now, you might be asking, how does the bacteria get into the the lettuce, into the greens and the veg uh, in the first place? And one answer is the runoff or the way that the crops are rotated or grown next to um, cattle, for example. So the E. coli is in the animal's poo, in the feces, and it can be taken up by the roots of the plant. There's also, of course, the the, uh, chance, because these are giant crops, of course, of birds flying by and contaminating the, the plants that way. It's not always just taken up by the roots of the plants. Um, even at the processing plant, uh, one of the problems would be throwing lots of these different plant, uh, these greens together, uh, and so you could cross-contaminate at the plant, uh, processing plant as well. So there's these ways and more uh, how these things get uh, contaminated. So essentially the article is suggesting, what do you do? Uh, right? What do you do about this? If you want to get your folate or, you know, vitamin K or uh, sometimes a little vitamin C, or even if it's a reddish or purplish uh, aspect to the greens, you might get some anthocyanins, like the healthy antioxidants like you would see in berries, for example. There are obviously lots of reasons to consume these, not the least of which for our population is just uh, volumetrics, right? Creating a little volume in the meal so you're not just eating boiled chicken breast plain on the plate, but you can actually create a salad or something. Um, So the article is suggesting, first, it's reminding you that your chances of being contaminated are actually really quite low. In fact, I think only about 16% of people annually get foodborne illness, but it is something to keep on the back burner, like on your radar at least. Uh, People, I think, often assume that they've they've caught um, a virus, uh, a flu-type virus or something like that when uh, and again, you know, you're talking about what that maybe uh, one in six people uh, actually dealing with a foodborne illness every year. But I'm guessing that that one in six people don't actually attribute it to that necessarily. So they're suggesting a couple of things. You could cook your greens until they're wilted. Now, that doesn't sound very delicious when it comes to a salad or something like that. But I think about like, for example, uh, you could do that with spinach. It's quite nice. Uh, you could put uh cooked spinach on all kinds of things. Uh, They suggest maybe buying whole head lettuce because the internal leaves are less likely to be exposed from at least external source uh, of E. coli. Uh, They talk about consider uh, greenhouse grown plants. Now that's very interesting. I was mentioning vertical farming not that long ago. In fact, uh, Elon Musk, I believe it's his brother uh, who's really into a lot of these potentially disruptive technologies and growing plants with the perfect nutrients in the in the solution right in the soil or in the water that the roots are in and the perfect wavelength of light and everything else Uh, and of course one nice aspect of this would be you'd be much less likely to end up with contaminants because it's all such a controlled environment and it's not out in the wild uh and Lastly, at least as far as I'm concerned in this article, it talks about soaking the greens in a vinegar water solution. Uh, Could be helpful from a microbiological standpoint as far as reducing your risk. Even after about 10 minutes, it's not going to kill all the bacteria, but then you could try to wash them and at least get some of the vinegary taste out. Or I suppose you could just use a vinaigrette uh, on the salad when you're eating it as a sort of a vehicle to get in your grilled chicken. So I just wanted to kind of toss that out there for everybody. Uh, some numbers for you as far as the risks involved uh, with consuming romaine lettuce and other leafy greens, like sometimes you'll see in these uh, 
pre-arranged packages at the grocer, and some commentary and tips about how you can deal with it. Okay, one more piece of news here before we go to break, and then we just have a little travelogue that might be of interest to people who are interested in breaking in to the uh, powerlifting industry or the strength conditioning industry. Um, it's all wrapped up in our little travelogue again. Anyway, this one is for uh, the ladies that listen. Influence of the menstrual cycle on blood markers of muscle damage and inflammation following eccentric exercise. So this is from Romero Para and colleagues, International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, 2020. What caught my eye was the fact that they use trained women. So they're looking at eccentric uh, training, right? Negatives, lengthening contractions uh, that cause a lot of soreness and subsequent growth, actually. But it's well known that women have less muscle damage. So it's interesting that they would look at the follicular phase, the first half, roughly, of the month when estrogen levels are climbing, and then compare that to mid-month and then the luteal phase where the hormone progesterone, the hormone of pregnancy, if you will, really kicks up. So let's see. The aim of the study was to evaluate whether the menstrual cycle and its underlying hormonal fluctuations affect muscle damage and inflammation in well-trained females following eccentric exercise. So these were eumenorrheic, so healthy menstrual cycle type um, uh, women. They performed, it says an eccentric squat type of exercise. And I don't have details about how many reps or what the load on the bar was or that sort of thing. In my experience, you really have to go quite heavy. So you're talking about like 80, 90%. You can even go above 100% of your one rep max as long as there's spotting going on. Uh, and again, depending on the, the load or the percent, somewhere between 25 and maybe 40 repetitions, you need enough volume to create the damage. So I'm wondering what they actually did there. But it says sex hormones and blood markers of muscle damage and inflammation were measured. And of course, the classics here for muscle damage like creatine kinase or LDH, that sort of thing. For inflammation, they have these catabolic uh, cytokines that tend to break down tissues uh, like interleukin-6 or tumor necrosis factor. Uh, they even looked at C-reactive protein, which is a very broad general inflammatory marker. Um, the bottom line here, no effect of the menstrual cycle was observed. Uh, they did say that there was a moderate effect size, and sometimes researchers will look at what's called an effect size when there's not statistical significance, but they think there's something going on and maybe they just need more subjects. But there was a uh, moderate effect size related to interleukin-6 uh, in the mid-luteal phase. So if I'm remembering my reproductive physiology right, that's sort of, um, you know, two-thirds of the way or three-quarters of the way through the month where progesterone might be highest. Um, but anyway, this isn't about the progesterone. This is about um, the uh, IL-6. Uh, they say the eccentric exercise barely triggered muscle damage, possibly due to the participant's training status. Now, that might be true. If you're highly trained, you get less creatine kinase release and muscle damage. And again, a lot of our listeners, they are well-trained women uh, and their bodies have that sort of iron plating effect that Priscilla Clarkson's lab sort of coined that term years ago. But again, if you do enough uh, in volume with and intensity, you should be able to get uh, more going on. So they said nothing really happened. But again, I don't think they, at least it looks like they didn't provide 
quite enough intensity times volume to really get the ladies sore. And again, it's harder to make women sore than men. Men kind of fall apart. We get real sore. We have real high creatine kinase release and things like that, uh, at least more so than women. So uh, I guess the take-home message from this is aside from a slight inflammatory cytokine effect uh, in the second phase, like two-thirds of the way through the month, not much really going on, not a lot of take-home message. So uh, the practical application would be that it if you're a woman and you do eccentric training, it probably doesn't matter that much uh, when you do it in, w- throughout the month. Um, it's just not going to have a huge impact on your inflammation and muscle damage markers. So that's it for the brief amount of news. Uh, again, after the break, we're going to go down to the Arnold Classic. This was actually uh, notes that I was sort of making on the way home from a conversation with Phil Stevens and uh, Jason Pegg uh, and some of the advice they were giving to some young Iron Radio listeners uh, about how to break into the powerlifting uh, and fitness industry and not get conned and that sort of thing. I thought it was valuable, so that's what we're going to share. Hello, dear ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. 
There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, we're back with this special and a little bit briefer salvaging the 2020 Arnold episode. Probably a good idea to start with a just a sort of a public service announcement about the coronavirus. I don't have a lot of details and research on it for you, but it occurred to me uh, driving home and later talking with my wife, Kelly, that, of course, gyms are Petri dishes. So it might be a good idea to try to reduce contaminants, like if there's some you know, you got the kid sometimes who just work in the front desk. Maybe tell the owner of the gym to have the kid up the uh, roving, you know, strolling around the gym, cleaning down stuff. Lysol spray, uh, a cheap 10% uh, bleach solution, right? Still 90% water. Now, you got to be careful not to get that on clothes and whatnot. But there's lots of disinfectant sprays because, of course, somebody coughs into their hands grabs the barbell, and you're the next one up to the barbell. You didn't even see the person before. Uh, I wish I had some details, if anybody does, about how long the coronavirus, or really any flu virus, other viruses, last uh, on a surface. Like I know during bloodborne pathogen training that I do for the university, of course, some viruses are much more robust, and others are much more fragile as far as how long they can live on uh, a countertop or something like that. But I would love to see some stuff. Maybe I'll dig around uh, myself for viruses that might get down in the knurlings of a bar and avoid, you know, getting destroyed uh, through cleaning. But anyway, purelling your hands when you walk out of the gym, that's like my thing. I wash my hands when I'm done lifting. I go out to the car and then I purell before I grab my training log and uh, log what I did for the day. So not a bad idea, I think, or I wouldn't be doing it. So maybe think about that. Pester your gym owner to keep keep everything as clean as possible. You know, the surface of benches, the barbells themselves. You don't want any kind of weird goop on that that's going to make your hands slip on the bar or the dumbbells or whatever. But, you know, Lysol spray and other disinfectants could definitely be all of our friends this time of year with all the even just cold viruses, head cold viruses, rhinovirus going around. Okay, so the segue then is the Arnold Classic, now the Arnold Fitness Weekend or the Arnold Sports Festival, it's gone through these iterations, um, was mostly shut down because of the concern for spread, right? Getting tens upon tens of thousands of people or over 100,000 people roving through a giant expo hall shoulder to shoulder, you know, not always being polite and coughing into their elbow or something, but just, you know, being gross, that could be really bad to spread viruses in general. So they didn't take their chances and they shut it down. So Phil is still on the road. Okay, so let me back up. Phil is still on the road. I'm coming home and I'm just going to basically share a few things as far as what we did do down there. We went down there anyway. I mean, Phil was in town to see Jim Wendler and those guys. And uh, last minute, Phil sort of 
put something out there, I think, on Facebook about, oh, let's, let's have just a little Iron Radio get-together. But, of course, with no planning and last-minute everything, that's, that's going to be of limited uh, efficacy. But uh, this will be, again, a special episode, sort of a summary of the Arnold uh, weekend down in Columbus, salvaging what we could. So what did we do? Well, we went to Barley's Brewing Company. I just hopped in the car. It was about a two-hour drive, grabbed an energy drink, and uh, shot down there. Uh, in the end, I ended up spending two hours each way for maybe just three hours on site in Columbus. But um, I know Phil had some T-shirts that we were going to give away as marketing material and things like that. I had actually printed off just a very limited batch of some little Iron Radio keychains, maybe you know, hang from your rearview mirror or whatever. And if we saw people wearing our uh, T-shirts or identified themselves as Iron Radio listeners, just, you know, a little tidbit reward, something like that. Uh, but when we were at the brewery, we did get into a discussion with a couple of listeners, uh, particularly one of my former students um, who had made the trek to the Arnold despite the atrophied presence of everything. And this is always interesting for me, right? Because from my perspective, I'm never quite sure what's going to happen at these kinds of events. And so this conversation started to become something that I hadn't planned, but was valuable enough to share. So as a young strength coach started picking everyone's brains just about powerlifting industry insider advice, one of the more interesting things that came up was a question about how to break into the strength industry in general. So Jason actually had some good points about getting shadowing experiences and observation hours without expecting a formal or certainly not a paid internship. You don't have to start with a formal internship. You can just sort of promise to stay out of the way, be a fly on the wall, and make observations. And for what it's worth, even just doing that sort of thing in a beer and nachos conversation like we were having, that was smart. It's smart to do that. So exposing yourself to people who have worked in the strength industry for some time, whether they're a gym owner, a competitor, um, someone who works for a larger facility or for the state or whatever it is that they're doing, it's just good to be part of these conversations and picking up what wisdom you can. As the conversation went on, uh, one thing that stuck for me at least was that for a young guy or gal who's just looking to witness various systems of training, it's important not to get conned. Uh, there are a handful of gym owners and coaches out there that have you know, one foot in the trenches, one foot maybe in a professional or a collegiate environment. And they could be especially valuable because they're going to care about the professional uh, demeanor, the professional habits, the kinds of things that you should do when you work in a professional setting. On the flip side, I heard some sort of disturbing examples of predatory personalities in the strength and conditioning industry that, that just want to take your money or glorify their own self-created social media image, uh, and maybe they want you to promote them. So to clarify, uh, the question that came up was whether or not it was customary or necessary to pay $3,000 and spend dozens of hours on social media talking up a gym owner's business. The short answer from both Jason Pegg and Phil was that no, this is not necessary. In fact, you should avoid that kind of thing. I'm certainly not saying that uh, these uh, powerlifting industry people should not make money, right? Uh, that, or that they should always donate their time as free mentors to people. 
Uh, but the flip side of that is whether or not they're taking advantage of uh, young people. And I always think about why we do Iron Radio, right? We're doing it quite the opposite. So we remember being dumb kids and asking questions, naive questions. Uh, and not that this, these were dumb questions. These were good questions. They were the right questions. But certainly not trying to take advantage of everybody, uh, putting everything behind a steep paywall uh, you know, and that kind of thing. Especially not just for a couple of days of observing how the, the facility or the person, how they roll out their system to their clients. So I would argue, again, based on what everybody was saying, that somebody who wants to do this kind of thing and just witness uh, a system of training and that sort of thing, they should be welcome to do so by a well-meaning coach. They do exist. They are out there. And the ones who are professional strength coaches in universities uh, or different state hospital systems and that kind of thing, they they should be able to impart some of their wisdom and give some professionalism tips uh, and even talk about niche markets. So these people are going to be working in different niche markets. These customer bases, they don't always focus on super heavyweight national champion powerlifters. Uh, Jason was pointing out a few uh, nice little tips about different niche markets, but providing strength uh, or athletic experiences for kids, uh, firefighters, uh, police forces, there's a lot of different ways that you can take your message of strength and barbell training and do a whole lot of good to some of these groups that nowadays uh, aren't always highly fit. Sometimes a shadowing experience could lead to an actual internship, either paid or unpaid, if you do a good job. Um, but you're going to have to pay your dues for a while. I suggested pay your dues for maybe five years, or as Jason put it, eating shit for five years helps to disabuse a young, hyper-motivated college grad that he deserves to be a celebrity out of the gate. I think that's almost the YouTube or social media myth. Uh, and it's actually wise. Spending thousands of hours under a barbell yourself and then working with different kinds of clients and what learning approaches or training approaches works best with different ones, that's solid gold. And you should be able to earn your way toward a better job. Longtime Iron Radio listeners know that Phil's philosophy, and he was sharing this um, down in Columbus as well, was just sample a number of different training approaches. Don't become a carbon copy of any one person because you're probably just going to be a pale imitation. So sample different facilities. Choose your favorite tricks and training aspects and programming and that sort of thing. And then create your own training philosophy. That apprenticeship model, uh, a lot of you have heard me say this, I, I feel like it's lost in many ways. We don't have the type of or the amount of apprenticeship modeling that we once did in this country. It used to be if you wanted to be a woodworker, you apprenticed under a woodworker. You wanted to be an electrician, you followed around electrici electrician, things like that. And it's sometimes we have, in a worst case scenario, college graduates in like an exercise science program, and they don't have a lot of rubber hits the road experience with actual people and getting results. In addition to that, uh, Jason's gold nugget was about how he himself was getting different specialty certifications from the state, not about fitness, about other things, uh, to augment what he already knows about strength programming. That is really going to help if you're going to be working with clients 
like let's say you work with firefighters, it might be good to go get an EMT or some level of paramedic certification or something like that. Something where you can uh, have a better feel for the demands of their type of activity. And let's face it, acquiring skills like that are just going to make you more valuable and get you a higher paycheck as the years progress. Not the weeks or months, the years progress. Now, at that point, the conversation took a weird turn. And this was something that we might have even touched on years ago in the past when Fortress was on. But I didn't think this happened with powerlifters as much. But if you do start to build a name... Uh, and you start working specifically, you know, as sort of you're a, an example, you're a competitor yourself, you're huge, you're strong, you're open a powerlifting gym. Um, some of the guys around the table were talking about being approached by very, you know, weird and, and kind of creepy elements of, of people who are willing to pay for services that <laughs> no professional would would probably offer. Suffice it to say, some of them were weirdly sexual or abusive and these are some of the things i've heard stories about around bodybuilders and that kind of thing i've never heard uh, this being you know one of these creepy subcultures hovering around the edges of uh powerlifting as well so maybe something you might want to keep in mind there too is you get uh, propositioned to do something like that i guess it depends on how mercenary you are but um i would suggest just <laughs> avoid that altogether so what else did we do? It wasn't all just shop talk uh, in the brewery. Uh, after we ate, God, there was these mountainous appetizers, but burgers and some stout beers and that kind of stuff. There was some ridiculously good fries, <laughs> by the way. Uh, I know you low-carb people don't want to hear that, but uh, we headed over to the convention center proper. The expo and most of the spectating, of course, was canceled this year. But there was a smattering of people in the hallways. There was even like a little mini strength event with its own little area of booths uh, that I didn't expect. I'm honestly not sure how this was allowed to take place uh, because it still seemed like a limited example of what they were trying to prevent, meaning getting gatherings of people in one place and um, you know jostling around each other and that kind of thing. It definitely was not crowded. I mean... Clearly, the event has was neutered <laughs> this year, but Phil and I had already printed maybe 80 t-shirts or something, again, some marketing material a few weeks ago, so we just hung out with some of his crew and handed out the oversized t-shirts. I actually tried to re reserve a couple of mortal-sized t-shirts, meaning like not double and triple X, so I could give them out at the summer events and that kind of thing, some scientific events and whatnot, um, like sports nutrition at the ISSN meeting in June, something along those lines. So we gave out a lot of the big ones. We were sort of targeting the largest mammals possible <laughs> that could actually wear these big shirts. And while we were doing that, Phil actually had a really good point. Um, imagine the millions of dollars that were lost on merchandise and swag from the various vendors this year that actually were printed with the year 2020 on them. If they said Arnold Sports Festival 2020, I don't know if those would be collector's items or, you know, how many just didn't get to be dispersed. They were bought and printed in advance, but the, the expo didn't happen. And trust me, there were very few people milling around uh, in the hallways uh, that we were uh, standing in. And I even heard rumor that the 
the cost of the booths. I'm sure it's probably, I don't know, 1500 bucks, 2500 something for a smallish booth in an expo. Somebody can maybe contact me and let me know what it costs. But I heard rumor that they weren't refunding those either. So I guess that's a huge risk when you, when you sign up for something that's non-refundable. But I can't imagine. So then imagine the, the fitness companies. You've, you've lost money from any type of swag that you've made specifically branded for that event. And you don't get reimbursed for your booth space. That's It's got to be a lot of people very salty. And I don't know how they're going to make amends for that or, or if they even care. I guess we'll find out in coming weeks. So in summary, again, brief episode. But here I am publishing this week's podcast episode. Again, Phil is still on the road. But um, I've got a small box of leftover T-shirts and keychains. And I'll not just give those away in the summer, but... We'll do something uh, as far as Iron Radio listeners. I love to reward the supporting members and that kind of stuff. We don't have a ton, so we could do this on a, a limited basis, somehow a contest or some giveaway. Um, but that's about it. I mean, the Columbus experience was obviously a disappointment this year. Uh, we did have a cool handful of little Iron Radio things uh, that should set the stage for next year, uh, providing that there's not a lot of bad blood and it's not hurt in general. I have a feeling it'll bounce right back next year. And again, we kind of set the stage with some of what we were doing as far as ideas for next year. And I just thought listeners might appreciate at least a little story, sort of travelogue um, from someone who did go down there. Uh, and we did try to, on some limited level, uh, try to enjoy the 2020 Arnold Sports Festival anyway. So that'll be it for this week, and we'll see you next time. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, 
please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.